WPPI 2019 is in the books. Let's take a look back. Hi, this is the Behind the Shot podcast. I'm Steve Brazel. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all the stories and challenges that happen in between. But this show is going to be a little bit different. At the end of February 2019, WPPI, the Wedding and Portrait Photography International, both conference and expo, happened at the Mandalay Bay Event Center in Las Vegas. And as usual, I went out there to check it out. I've got some strong opinions this year about the conference in general and about what I saw on the expo floor, which is usually where I tend to hang out. I like going by the different booths of products I like or that I've heard about to see what show specials they may have, what new products they're announcing, things like that. So I did some interviews this time I want to share with you. Also, to me, the best thing about WPPI is still the social game. It's fun to go hang out with people, meet new people, and do the networking stuff. I got to see Renee Robin again. I got to hang out with Troy Miller and Peter Levshin. Got to see my buddy Scott Heath. So if you've never been to WPPI, let me start with the short version. You should go next year. It's a great conference and it's a great networking opportunity. Now, with that said, I do have some strong opinions on how I saw the conference, how I see WPPI in general, and I'll share those with you at the end of this, assuming my voice still makes it. I've been weak voiced due to bronchitis for about a month now, so hopefully it lasts. First thing I did on the expo floor was I stopped by the Canon booth. On the day that I stopped by, it was the actual shipping date for the brand new Canon mirrorless full frame RP body. So I wanted to talk to him about that and about the Canon R body as well. Plus, that same day was the day that they announced their new photo community called Rays. Now, Rays has some interesting client-side features. Plus, in the actual press release, they mentioned the one thing that seems to matter to photographers everywhere. They talked about how they treat your copyright and the fact that you retain your copyright, which I thought was really interesting as well. Let's head on over to the Canon booth and check it out. Hey, Steve Brazel with the Behind the Shot podcast again at WPPI 19. I'm here at the Canon booth. I'm joined joined by Drew. How are you? Good, Steve. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. There's a lot of Canon stuff that's happened in the last year. And the day that we're recording this actually is is a big mirrorless day for Canon. So let's talk a little bit about the, the mirrorless strategy for Canon. We've got the R. And then we've got the RP, and the day we're recording this, uh, Wednesday, the whatever it is, is the day that the RP ships. So it is available for order now, and I kind of want to talk about the difference. Now that Canon's into the mirrorless scene, give me a little contrast between the R and now that the RP's shipping the two bodies. Okay, well, first of all, I want to say we've been in the mirrorless scene for a while with, with the, the M series. The M series. These are our first full-frame mirrorless. So we entered the full-frame mirrorless in September uh, 2018. Okay. And uh, what is it, five months later, we come out with body number two, which is going to be the EOS RP. Now, you'll see when you get them in your hands that they are different in weight and size and feel. The, the, the R kind of goes more after the, the advanced amateur, the enthusiast. Um, it's quite a few pros are working with this for weddings and events and all that fun stuff. The RP was brought to life to bring more of a foundation piece to full frame for the entry level or someone who's joining the market that says, I want to step up from APS-C or maybe I want from my point and shoot into full frame because 
you know, I want full frame. Well, now with the RP and the entry price point of $12.99 for the body, you know, you're able to get into the full frame market really easy. And, and you mentioned twelve ninety nine for the for the RP body. What about the R body? Twenty one ninety nine for the body. Okay, so almost a thousand dollar difference between the two. In looking at the two and having played with them a little bit myself, the R is much more of your traditional DSLR size feel. Um, it feels good as, as a pro photographer, it feels really good in the hand to use on a job. And I have tour photographer friends that are using these on tours to shoot major arena shows. The RP, it's, it's more of an entry level, but like you say, full frame. Who do you see market-wise? What's the deciding factor for the average consumer between the two? Yeah, as far as the deciding factor between the two, I think they're, they're, they're targeted towards different people, for one. I, I think in the, the RP is going to target towards that traveler, that, that family person, someone who's, who they, they might be coming from their SL2 or something that it is a lightweight. They want that lightweight camera body for travel. They, they have you know, kids with them, and they want something that's going to go with them and not bulk them down because this is heavier. This is lighter than a... Than a 18 ounce or 16 ounce bottle of water. So it's it's a very hold on, hold on. Oh yeah. So this would be a good street photographer. Absolutely. Body. Street photography. You know, this has got the 35 on it. That's a very small package. This could almost fit in a coat pocket. Okay. And when you look at the battery, this has actually got the grip on the bottom of it. This oh, that's is, an actual battery grip. This is a, just an extension grip. Oh, just an extension grip. Okay. Right. So that's actually the weight without that. La last but not least on these bodies, I want to touch on the lens selection because you've got the new, the new mount lenses. But for those people that are out there that have their standard RF lenses and they're worried about using those lenses, there's three adapters. And I found this interesting. Tell me a little bit about the three adapters that are available to change the mount to the lenses that you've already got in your bag. Right. So... When we went to the smaller mount distance between the, the RF lens and the body, there's the, the gap distance between the EF lens that would be there. It's about 20 some odd millimeters. Right. So we created the mount adapters to not only mount the EF lenses to the body, and that gives you full compatibility. There's no slowdown, no loss of anything. But we said, okay, well, maybe we can create some connectivity or some, active, um, some, some compatibility and added functionality to those lenses. So what we did is we have a standard adapter, which just changes the mount so that you have your EF to R body. Use your existing lenses. Use your existing lenses. Okay. Now, if you've worked with an RF lens, you know there's a control ring on the lens that allows you to do TV, AV, ISO, exposure compensation, programmable. We added this same control ring to one of the mount adapters See, so that your EF one. lens now has the same functionality as your RF lens. Okay. So we're adding functionality to your EF lenses. <laughs> the third one is probably my favorite because I like to shoot wide-angle landscapes. So I can take an 11 to 24 lens. Okay. It's got a ginormous RF front. RF lens. No, EF. EF lens. EF sorry, 24 EF to 105. Okay. All right, sorry, EF 11 to 24. Gotcha. It's got a ginormous front lens that you can't put a filter on. But maybe I want to put a neutral density filter on that camera. It takes accessories and things to do that. So the third adapter is we created a drop-in filter adapter. It's very similar to our drop-in filters on our Super Tellies. I have a slot that I put in a one and a half to nine stop neutral density filter behind the fil behind the lens. So I don't have anything in front of my lens. It's all there. And whether it's a 16 to 35, that might be a 82 millimeter filter thread or a 17 to 40 that's a 77 millimeter it doesn't matter anymore i don't have to carry five different nd filters i carry one right and it sits right back here yeah see and i like that now here's the one question i've had people say to me 
that my understanding is it's not the case. They say, yes, but when you use the adapters, you lose some quality in, in your traditional lenses. And my understanding is there's no quality loss. There's no loss of anything. You're not losing focus. You're not losing infinity focus. You're not losing speed. You're not losing anything at all. Yeah, okay. So native mount, native mount. It, we've programmed right. them for our systems. And you're adding you're adding throw distance between the sensor, which the original lenses used anyway. They used it anyway. It's the exact same as if you were say if you have your 70 to 200 on your 5D4, it's gonna work the exact same way as uh, the 7200 on this, like you were in live view on your 5D4. See, and the, the adapters to me are what really make the R-series cannons really enticing for a lot of people, because like you say, the 14 millimeter, you've got a fisheye, and you want a filter on there, you can drop it in, I think that's fascinating. Drew, thanks so much for joining me today. Again, here at the Canon booth, WPPI 2019, we'll go check out some more Canon stuff. Hey, once again, here at the Canon booth, this time I'm with Melissa, how are you? Good, thank you, how are you? It's re I'm really good, it's nice to be here, and, and this, this was one I had not planned on doing today, and as I woke up this morning, I got a press release from Canon. They have a new photo community called Rays. And as I was reading the press release, there was some stuff in there that really, really intrigued me. So first of all, just from a, from a helicopter view, how would you describe this new photo community from Canon? Yep. So overall, Rays is really a platform for Canon to better connect with our end users of photographers. We're really looking to elevate the photographic community, hence the name Raise. We really wanted to inspire you know, photographers everywhere to raise their skills, raise their photography, and actually be inspired to you know, take your skills to the next level and really interact and engage, better understand yourself as a photographer, but also engage with a larger community of photographers that benefits you as well. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of photo communities out there right now, but like I said, in the press release, there were a few things that made me go, what? So Rays has, first of all, one of the things that I noticed was it has, for working professional photographers, it has client side facing information. So as a working pro, what does Rays give me to interact with my clients? I would say better organization and then better to really streamline your workflow to share with your clients. So can I take from the organization and first because raise actually has a built-in AI engine which I know we'll get kind of go into a little bit more but raise AI actually helps you keyword and tag your photos based on not just subject matter so bride and groom in a wedding photo that's typical but oh, okay I, I'm sorry but I've got to dive deeper on that I upload photos to raise and raise will automatically detect what's in the photos and keyword bridegroom wedding that is correct but not just bride, groom, and wedding. I think the value that raises, because that exists already in technology out there, but really, we're really focused on other photo types of tags that you wouldn't really think of. So the color of the tag, of the photo, excuse me, as well as the composition. So rule of thirds, centered composition, symmetry, but also the style. Could be a pale term, a warm tone, a moody tone. These are things you normally wouldn't actually, black and, white. black and white, exactly. You wouldn't spend the time actually keywording these things typically, possibly, but we want to actually make sure that, you know, when you're ready and a client, or new prospective client actually wants to come to you and say, hey, I'm looking for, you know, I'm trying to do an outdoor wedding shoot. I want moody tones. It's going to be beat, exactly. We actually want it to be like, you don't have to go through your whole library to find you know, a beach wedding destination. We want it to actually match the tone. If it's moody, it really should reflect that tone. So we're hoping that that tag that you normally would not have added actually helps you save time and creates this collection for you automatically that you could then naturally share to your clients. So your first question was really, how do we better you know, have a pro 
uh, photographer actually serve their clients better. And that's really, you don't need now an email, an FTP site to then share your images for. You can actually do it all through Raise. You now are able to say, this client asked me to do X, Y, Z. I'm able to actually pull this type of imagery that fits this portfolio, share it directly to that client via Raise secure through the email. password protected. Se secure password protected. I can also choose to put my watermarks on there. I can also choose if a client, for example, a paid client is done, I can actually allow them to download my images only if I choose to. I can also choose not to have them allowed to download it. I can also choose them to, you know, maybe remove the watermark if they wanted to download it. There's a lot of options that we're allowing the photographer to customize so that they still control their images and no one can screenshot. There's going to be, you know, photographer still owns all the images that are uploaded to raise. We're making sure that, you know, we have the photographers in mind when we provide the service and security and reliability is definitely that was something that was in the press release too, and that was never have I seen a photo press release that stresses you retain all of your copyright on an uploaded photo community. That was refreshing. Are there any tie-ins with print houses or anything like that? As of now, we are looking into kind of incorporating print, especially because Canon being, you know, the input and outsource. Right, that's why I asked. Yep. Yeah. So it is down the road. As of now, we don't have any print incorporations, but that is one big thing. But we understand, you know, we actually had a beta community before we launched this officially. And the biggest thing we understood is make sure that photographers understand that, you know, Canon's not looking for rights to your image to utilize. We want to make sure that you're comfortable, you know, uploading and you feel the ownership and we're not kind of like the other social media platforms out there that will own your image. When you A lot of what you've discussed, client facing, uh, proofing in essence, keywording, there are sites out there that would charge for that. What does it run? Where do people go to find out more about it? As of now, Raise is currently available on Canon's website, raise.usa.canon.com, but you could actually download our Raise mobile app. It's available on iOS and Android devices. We also will be releasing, um, actually, in two weeks, uh, Raise Adobe Lightroom plugin, which was also mentioned in the release, that we'll actually be able to connect um, with your Adobe Lightroom Classic. Um, a plugin that actually will interact with the Raise cloud so that you could get all the benefits of Raise AI tagging your photos, but then actually have your benefits of editing and keeping your streamlined workflow that you're used to maybe in Adobe as a possibility as well. So we're looking to expand, but currently, um, you know, web and mobile and then the Lightroom plugin are kind of our four mediums and, that we and have cost? Right Cost as of now, Raise is completely free to all users. All photographers are able to welcome to join. We currently do kind of state that you know, cloud storage is about terabyte per um, photographer, but it actually isn't a hard um, you know cap. We actually will notify the photographer once they reach that limit. But as of now, there is no charge or extra additions to get the storage. But we're hoping that in the future, we're planning to release couple of new features throughout this year and there'll be a lot more uh, opportunities for photographers to unlock benefits and actually have new features that will continue to engage the you know the audience and actually reward them in some ways as well. Okay, so it's the it's the Raise photo community and it was raiseusa.canon.com to go to it. So again, check it out. It's free and it actually does sound like it offers some interesting stuff that would normally be for a paid service. So Melissa, thank you again very, very much. It was an honor to meet you, you and have a great time at WPPI. Let's go visit somebody else.
Thanks again to the folks over at the Canon booth at WPPI 2019 for having me over to talk about their new mirrorless full-frame bodies, the RP and the R, and their new photo community rays, which I think has some interesting client-side features. The AI looks really interesting, where it can automatically keyword your images, even based on composition rules, such as rule of thirds. It's going to be an interesting thing to see where that goes and how that works out. Also, I find it refreshing that they mentioned copyright and that you retain your copyright. Even in the press release, that's not something that you see very often. Next up, I went over to the Sigma booth. Recently, I was in New Jersey and I was at the music photography workshops, which are put on by a friend of mine, Adam L. Micaias. He asked me to go back to help him with the workshop. And if you want information, it's musicphotographyworkshops.com. It's a great program. So as I was back in New Jersey helping with these workshops, Adam is sponsored by Sigma. And Sigma had a table at the workshop where the students slash attendees could borrow Sigma lenses and try them throughout the workshop. That was really kind of cool. Well, I'm not going to pass that up. So I borrowed a couple of the lenses as well. I tried the 14 millimeter one. I tried the 120 to 300 2.8. And that lens made me want to buy it. I haven't yet, but I'm really seriously considering it. It's a 2.8 lens. Even though it's 120 to 300, I was able to handhold it at slower shutter speeds most of the time. Also tried it on a monopod and it got me thinking. I remember the days as a Canon shooter that mostly buys Canon glass. I remember the days when us as photographers were really sticklers about, no, 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 I'm a Canon shooter, I'm buying Canon glass. I'm a Nikon shooter, I'm buying Nikon glass, and so on and so forth. And it got me thinking what changed that. And I think one of the, the main catalysts for that change was Sigma. When they released the art series lenses, I think people started to really take notice that this is a third-party lens company that is making some extremely high-quality glass and product that's really stable and really well-built. So in New Jersey, the guy that was there lending out the lenses on behalf of Sigma was a guy by the name of Mark. He works for Sigma. And I found out that he was at WPPI in the Sigma booth. I figured, okay, what better than to go talk to my new buddy, Mark, about the roadmap for Sigma, the different lines of Sigma lenses, and why you might consider a Sigma lens. Let's go check it out. All the time, right? And when we have venues that are popular in our area, Okay, so again, WPPI 2019, I still have no voice, partially because the guy doing the camera right now, which is Troy Miller, uh, had me talking over loud music last night. If you have not checked out Troy Miller, this week in photo, he does stuff for the uh, image critiques with Frederick Van Johnson. You should definitely check that out. I'm Steve Brazel. I'm here with my buddy Mark Farb from Sigma. I want to talk about Sigma a little bit. I met Mark... A friend of mine, Adam L. Macias, did a music photo workshop in New Jersey. He's got another one coming up when we're recording this in Chicago. And Sigma was on site letting people try different lenses. And I'd tried some of the Sigma lenses before, but that day, what was the what was the lens that I tried? The 120 to 300 f2.8. Okay, 120 to 300 f2.8 for a Canon mount. And I was really shocked by it. I made it my pick of the week on uh, Don Komarechka's Photo Geek Weekly because I was shocked at how easy it was at a, at a 120 to 300, all 2.8, all the way through to hand hold it and get really nice, sharp shots. And it made me start thinking about all the different Sigma stuff that you've got. You've got three different categories. What, what are your categories? We have the art, sport, and contemporary. So the, the art lenses are just the best of the best, uncompromising 
perfection from the word go. Uh, the sport lenses are basically art lenses, but fully weather sealed with longer focal lengths. The contemporary lenses are your, I don't want to say entry level, but they're your cost friendly lenses for the, the beginners. Uh, you could jump in and everything works just as well. You, you'll have a variable aperture versus constant apertures, but again, quality wise, you're getting the same top quality on the imagery that you would on the art and the sport, just at a different price point. So you said something that was interesting that I didn't know. The Sport Series lenses and the art lenses are effectively the same lens, but the Sport Series is weather sealed. Right. With all of these lenses, they're available in any major mount. So you do, what, what mounts do you do on your lenses? So we've got Nikon, Canon, and we have direct E-mounts currently. We also have a Sigma mount, but we also have an, an MC11 adapter, which allows us to take all of our Canon EF mounts and go to, to a Sony mount. So that makes a telephoto lens that's not necessarily available in the Sony lineup or anybody else's lineup available for a mirrorless shooter. So it gives you a range of everywhere from 4.5 millimeters out to 800 millimeters and everything in between. So if you want something more exotic like the 150 to 600 or if you want a 70 to 200 and you don't want to spring for uh, ridiculous prices, we've actually got the best pricing and the best lenses, which is, again, what you were seeing in New Jersey, right. which shocks people because, again, they don't expect to see both those things go tandem. The, the, you know, that brings up a question. The 120 to 300 I was shooting in New Jersey, which if you haven't tried the 120 to 300, seriously, I was really impressed with it. What, what series does that fall under? That is a sport lens. Okay, so that's weather sealed, 2.8 all the way through. Here's one thing I've always wondered. Sigma has cine lenses too, and I've always heard that the difference in a normal you know, still lens and a cine lens was that the cine lenses were designed more for resolution of video, which is a lower resolution, and they don't resolve to the same quality. I heard that that's not the case with Sigma. That's absolutely correct. So again, all of our cine lenses are art glass in a different housing. So it's 100% new and 100% retained is the way we're, we're presenting it. So you've got the best of both worlds. So you've actually got the proper housing for the cinematographers because it's a D-click lens, all of your actuations are on the outside, but you have communication so you're able to do your, your color grading and have all the metadata available for your post-processing. So you've got the quality as well as the versatility. Um, all of our glass resolves more than 50 megapixels, which okay. is not something else that everybody else can say. No, I'm, I'm, I'm right that, that most cine lenses do not do that, right? No, not at all. And most cine lenses are actually designed for a Super 35 or an APS-C format where our lenses, we, we jump both sides of the fence immediately. So we're, we're ready for the Monstro and VistaVision and we've got it all covered, which again, puts everybody on alert and saying, hey, we're ready to roll. We've got the products that can actually do the job, and it's amazing to see how many DPs are putting our products into their lineup and saying, you know, we've got to work with this. Well, and it's interesting, Troy and I were talking about this at dinner last night. There was a day in, in the still photography industry where a lot of photographers had the feeling of with third-party lenses, not their name brand, camera brand lenses, that there was, there was a QA difference, right? You'd get a good batch, you'd get a bad batch. And really when Sigma came out with the art series lens, at least in my opinion, I'm doing a commercial for you now, that changed. That changed the third party lens market, that, that art series lens, because you came out with a high quality lens that, 
that people really should look at and a lot of well-known photographers have switched over to. If you were to tell people, you know, your your 30-second pitch on if you've never tried a third-party lens, this is why you should try a Sigma, what would that be? Well, first of all, you talk about the uh, the human part of, of the lens building of, of, of manufacturing. Our lenses are basically hand-built one at a time. So there's a, there's a huge component of personal um, pride put into this. So you've, you've got the hand, the craftsmanship of every lens being hand-built. Uh, you have the calibration, contrast calibration of every lens on the line. Not one in five, not one in six, one in 10. Every lens is calibrated on the line. We actually have a dedicated machine that we utilize to calibrate and check the four corners and the center sharpness. So every lens is calibrated on the line. Um, the parts, handmade, down to the aperture blades being stamped in the factory. 100% made in Japan, in our factory. Uh, granted, the glass all comes from a foundry like everybody else, but we have some secret sauce and magic that we apply after the fact, like the other guys as well. But we're taking the time to, to make our lenses very special. Case in point, the new 70 to 200. You've got uh, 11 pieces of high-end fluorite type glass in there where the other guys are only using five or six pieces at best. Front element is an 82 millimeter front opening where you've got 77 millimeters on the other guy. Your 70 to 200 is an 82 millimeter mount? Yes. Wow. Okay, so here's a good example of I got a press release from everybody and, and it's, you know, come down and talk to somebody and I didn't want to just talk to anybody. When I met Mark in New Jersey, it's interesting. This is a guy who goes out to do, you know, lens lens loaners at, at, at uh, workshops, but everybody seems to really know their stuff. Mark, I really appreciate you doing this, man. Not a problem. Again, Behind the Shot Podcast, WPPI 2019. Let's go find someone else. So for the first time as a professional photographer, I'm seriously looking at a lot of third-party lenses. Those Sigma art lenses look awesome, and they make some great images in my tests at least. Next up, I went over to a booth for a software product that I love, and you're going to know what software product it is if you ever listen to me talk about editing pictures. So originally, Alan Hess mentioned a piece of software to me called Photo Mechanic, and I knew he knows what he's talking about, and for some reason, I didn't follow up on it. Then Troy Miller mentioned Photo Mechanic to me. I went, oh, I got to try it. So I downloaded a demo and very shortly thereafter bought it and it has completely changed my workflow. But here's the problem that I have. It's difficult sometimes to describe to people why I use Photo Mechanic instead of just doing everything in a Lightroom or something like that. It's faster than Lightroom, but then people start asking me about editing and it doesn't do any editing really other than cropping and people just don't really get it. So I thought to myself, well, what better since Camera Bits, which is the company that makes Photo Mechanic, has a booth there. Let's stop by the Camera Bits booth and let them explain it to you how it works in different genres and why it might benefit you. What I did not know was, as I talked to them, when I got home from WPPI, they announced that near the end of March, they are releasing the next version, version six of Photo Mechanic, can't stress it enough, I am really excited for version six of Photo Mechanic. The current version is version five. So with that in mind, let's head on over to the Camera Bits booth and see what they have to say about Photo Mechanic. So Photo Mechanic, we say, takes the work out of workflow. Um, working with files, it gives you your weekend back. Um, it takes a lot of the time out of calling and working with files. Um, speed is the name of the game. Anything we can do to make you work faster on everything except the creative part of it, that's what we want to do. 
Photo Mechanic is $150 for a new license. Um, if you have a previous version for it's $90 for an upgrade. Um, when you buy Photo Mechanic for $150, it's a per license in perpetuity. It's not a subscription. Uh, you own it for as long as your computer will work and run it. Um, it's fine. Obviously, if you're when you update OSs, sometimes older softwares won't work. But that's you know, as long as you keep your OS and everything works, you can use it as long as you want. Um, we have a 30-day free trial. If you go to camerabits.com, um, you can download it for free. Um, start trying it for 30 days. You don't even have to put in a credit card. Um, just try it, see if it works for you. Give it, a, give it a look at some of our tutorials. Do a few calls and see if it's see if it saves you time. That's really the one thing. Um, I mean, we also have discounts if you're like a member of NPPA or you go to Kelby One. We have a lot, if you have any big national organizations, we do have a lot of like discount codes for those. So ask them if they have a discount code for us, and uh, if they don't, have them call us because we're always interested in working with any of those big organizations. If you're one of those people that has never tried Photo Mechanic, go to the Camera Bits website, download their trial, give it a shot. I think you will find that there is no faster way to cull a large photo shoot. So next up, I went over to the Think Tank booth. Now, Think Tank's an interesting company. I have a lot of Think Tank gear. When I shoot concerts, I use a Think Tank belt system. I have multiple Think Tank shoulder bags. I even have a Think Tank iPad bag. My main large roller bag is a Think Tank Airport International I love their stuff. It's really well made and it's got some great security features on most of them as well. But tied to Think Tank is also Mindshift Gear. And the way I usually describe it, I own a Mindshift Gear uh, Backlight 26L backpack. You may have seen the review of it a couple of years ago that I did. The way I usually describe it is Think Tank is more urban, whereas the Mindshift Gear stuff is more outdoorsy and rural. But there's a little more nuance to it than that, and I'm just not good at describing it. So I figured, why not head by the Think Tank booth and let them explain the difference to you and why their bags are so good based on who makes them. Now, the Think Tank brand is more of an urban photography brand. It originally was designed by photographers for photographers. So we really looked at, at the time, is the workflow of a typical urban photographer who's like a photojournalist or a sports photographer or events photographer. Like here at WPPI, we have a lot of wedding and events photographers. So those are really ideal bags because they're made, uh, for example, rolling bags to get a lot of heavy camera gear onto wheels and also to be able to get it onto an airplane. Uh, that's one of the key objectives is to be able to allow the photographer to take their gear with them on airplanes or wherever they go, have it all with them, nice and secure, and so and help with the, with the heavy load. Now with the Mindshift gear stuff, most of that stuff is designed for outdoor photography use. So some of the accoutrements are a little bit different, like hydration bladder carries. Um, everything's built a little bit more robust for outdoor use, a little more rugged. We use different materials in that case. Um, but everything is designed by think tank photography designers. So there's a lot of the same uh, design ethos in both of the bags. So you can be sure that you're getting top quality, innovation, uh, and considerable thought to your your workflow as a photographer in every Think Tank or Mindshift bag. With Think Tank security features, uh, we have um, you know cables that can be locked around a pole, for example, or uh, zip um, lockable zippers. And uh, some of the bags come with like a TSA lock that's really easy for the photographer to use and to put the combination in, but it's not so easy for, say, a smash and grab thief to come up and grab your bag and open it up and get stuff out of it, 
or pull it away from the pole that you've secured it to with, with, the, with the coil. So that's just some of the preventative measures that we can do with these bags just to help photographers escape and avoid that, that really quick theft situation. Think Tank is available at www.thinktankphoto.com. We're also available in many of the big re uh, retailers like B&H, Sammy's Camera, Adorama. We're all over the world. You can find us just about anywhere. If you're anything like me, or for that matter, almost any photographer that I know, you can never have enough camera bags. So check out the Think Tank stuff. Check out MindShift gear. I think you'll find they are great bags, really well designed and built with really good quality. So let's leave the expo for a little bit. I am a big fan of image competitions. In Southern California, I periodically judge local chapter image competitions because I really think that it's one of the best ways for photographers to improve their craft. Not to get the Flickr and 500px and Instagram and Facebook type, hey, great shot comments, right? I'm talking about judges that are qualified to actually look at your photos and tell you why they're good and how they can be improved. So while I was walking around, I ran into my friend Christy Elias. Now Christy is an award-winning photographer on her own right, but also has entered and done well in the WPPI print competition and has even judged the WPPI print competition. So I wanted to ask her her thoughts on image competitions in general and for that matter, WPPI this year too. Let's go say hi to Christy. Okay, so we're here at WPPI 2019. I'm here with Christy Elias, and I, I want to talk about WPPI on a number of different levels. But specifically, you've been coming for seven years or something, I think we were talking earlier, and you have a lot of investment in image competition area. You both judge it, you enter it. What is an average viewer photographer that enters a local image comp, what do they get from being in an image competition in your opinion? So I think entering image competition and also watching it is one of the most invaluable educational tools that you can have or do in our industry. Um, and just to listen to the different perspectives and the different experiences that each judge brings to critiquing the image. And you can learn from watching both digital competition and also print um, to learn how you should actually print a print and what type of paper surface works best for your type of imagery. Um, like I do a lot of low key portraiture. so. For me, I can't print on a necessarily fine art. I need more of a fiberglass or the blocks oh. are going to get um, completely blocked up. So you learn about the different paper types and everything that you would need to print the best prints for your work, as well as how to shoot, how to light. Um, if something you know is blown out or underexposed, you will be able to learn and refine a lot of that um, while watching image competition. When, when I'm curious when you're judging an image competition, I shoot live music, but the judges may be wedding photographers. Still beneficial, right? Yes. Yeah, it's great to hear, even just like you're saying, if somebody who's not used to judging what you do to hear their perspective on it. And you can also learn from what they're saying. Again, Christy Elias, thanks for, for doing this for the Behind the Shot podcast. Where can people go see what you shoot? Um, at ChristyElias.com is my website, K-R-I-S-T-I-E-L-I-A-S.com. And at KSE Photography is my Instagram. KSE Photography. If you had messed up the spelling on your name, though, that would have been classic. And he's backing up because he knows what I'm going to do because this is like our seventh take. But I got to thank Troy Miller, who you may know Troy Miller. I'm just going to grab the camera. You may know Troy Miller because he helps Frederick Van Johnson on uh, This Week in Photo with the uh, image critiques that they do. So thank you to Troy for doing this. It's the Behind the Shot podcast. And again, thanks to Christy Elias. 
Once again, thank you to Christy Elias for stopping by, talking image competition with us for a little bit. I want to stress something here. Whether it be a national competition like a PPA or a WPPI, or even just a local image competition, the type that I judge here in Southern California on occasion, I cannot stress enough what I think about image competition. I think it's one of the best, fastest, easiest ways for you to improve your own craft. So get yourself involved in something as far as an image competition is concerned. Now, let's move on to the fun part. I promised you that at the end of this, I would get into some of my thoughts in general on WPPI. So let me do the too long, you know, didn't read version first. I think WPPI is still a great conference to go to, and I hope that I see you there in 2020. I know I will be going, assuming that they have one, as I don't think it's been announced at the time that I'm recording this. I think that there's a lot of headroom in front of, a lot of runway in front of WPPI as far as the expo. I could just hang out at the expo for three days. I run into people I haven't seen for a long time. I it's just a lot of fun to be out there. Same thing with the conference. I think that in general, they get great instructors. Now, this year, there were a few things I want to touch on ever so lightly that I think could have been done better as far as the conference is concerned. There were, I couldn't sit in every class, obviously, but I kind of, you know, picked a couple that I went into to, to kind of see what the, the instructor quality was like, the layout was like, etc. First of all, there was uh, one session that I went into where and I don't want to give too much detail on this because, you know, everybody has their issues and I don't want to get into making this a critique of other people's presentation style. But there was one group that I saw or one set of instructors that I saw that spent their entire time reading their presentation from their computer. And I just want to let instructors know if you ever, for all I know, it was their first time in front of a large presentation at a large conference and expo like the like WPPI this year. Maybe they were nervous. I don't know. But. When you get in front of a large group, you need to make sure that you know your content. If you don't present it in a way that is understandable to me and digestible by me, I'm not going to absorb it and I'm just going to end up getting up and leaving because it's uncomfortable to watch. You need to make contact with your audience, whether it be eye contact or emotional contact or something. You can't just stand up there and read it. You need to rehearse it to the point where you know it by heart and then just refer to your notes now and then to see where you're at. There was another presentation that I was in <clears throat> where, at least from my seat and the person next to me, it seemed as though that person was really pushing, completely dropping TTL for flash photography and going 100% manual. That may not have been how they intended it, I don't know, but they presented it in such a way that it was an absolute, trust me, never use TTL, start using only manual. And while there are scenarios that it makes sense that you would use manual instead of TTL, uh, I just don't think that it should ever be presented as an absolute. I had an issue with that. The first thought that hit me actually was, I'll bet you they're a cannon shooter, which in their day, Nikon CLS system and Nikon TTL was way better than Canon. I just don't think that that's necessarily the case anymore. Canon TTL works great. And here's my position on all of that type thing, because this this same presenter did the same thing. Understand WPPI, it's, it's being presented under the context of wedding and portrait photography. The other thing that they did was they positioned uh, not using auto white balance and always going with setting an actual Kelvin value in your camera. And while for portraits, I could see that I could see for some wedding environments that could be, you know, challenging to say the least. Here's my thing. They're all technology tools that are available to us. There are times that TTL is a tool that you should use. And there are times that TTL is a tool 
that is better not used in your better off setting manual or for auto white balance setting Kelvin. All of these are options available to you. Whatever your workflow is, feel comfortable in using the technology that's available to you, right? That's my position on it. Uh, there were some instructors that I saw that just did a great job of connecting with the audience and presenting an upbeat, energetic, fun presentation with great content in it. I think they had some great instructors and I definitely think that WPPI is a conference and expo that you should consider going to, if for nothing else, the fantastic social game that's behind it, right? It's a great networking opportunity and a great social opportunity for you to meet other photographers, people of like mind, and, and see some great product announcements and things like that. So that's it for this WPPI 2019 recap. I'm Steve Brazel, as always. If you want to find me, you can hit me up at any of the websites. You can go to BehindTheShot.tv for the podcast itself. Or for me, it's SteveBrazel.com. Social media, it's kind of the same thing. Instagram and Twitter, they're both the same. It's Behind the Shot TV for the podcast. Or Steve Brazel, my first name, last name. It's like Brazil, but two L's for uh, uh, my personal one. For Facebook, it's a little bit different. It's Behind the Shot Podcast for the podcast itself and Steve Brazel Photography for me. Reach out to me on social media. Keep in mind, by the way, at BehindTheShot.tv, I also have a contact page. You can always reach out to me that way. If you like the podcast, if you would be so kind as to drop us both a numerical rating in iTunes and a written review. That does help a lot with discovery and is always appreciated. As always, thanks for joining us. We'll see you on the next show.